0: Good morning. It is, it's awesome, actually, that we all get to spend a long weekend t- together in a moment like this. Um, I'm privileged to be able to wrap up our summer series in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Um, as you've heard, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. And so if you jump in with me to Matthew 5, we're going to look at the very end of this chapter as Jesus starts uh, his Sermon on the Mount, the large single chunk of teaching we have from him in Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to focus today on verses 43 to 48, but we're going to start and lay a huge bit of foundation by just looking at 48 before we get to its immediate context. So uh, we're just going to jump right in, where Jesus says, this summary statement, this powerful statement, Matthew 5, 48, "'You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect.'" Central Heights, you shall be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This whole series, we've put under the title, the theme, The Better Way. And we've covered a lot of ground. I don't know how many of these you've been a part of, but if like me, you kind of travel and come and gone in the summer, uh, you need to know, we've, we've, Jesus has touched on a lot. And as Tim has said earlier in the series, he touches on a lot because God has our best in mind for every area of life. So it makes sense then that, that he's casting a, a big picture vision here of what it looks like to live as a blessed citizen under God's rule, in God's kingdom. So we've talked about being blessed. We've talked about uh, influencing our world. We've talked about sexuality and divorce and uh, you know, thinking right about anger and, and our commitments. And today we get to this, this, this crazy part of not only loving our enemies, but Jesus encapsulates it all with this phrase, be perfect. And I don't know if, if as we've gone through this series, the, the title or the theme, The Better Way, has really been something you've grabbed onto. Because I think uh, one of the big misunderstandings I sometimes have, and maybe you've had too, is, is, is Jesus, like, like honestly, is Christianity, this whole Bible God thing, really a beneficial faith for right now? I mean, yeah, we, we've heard about it, uh, you know, in terms of our future and our destiny and our eternity, but, but right now, are we convinced? Is your posture right now, is you're sitting here listening to me on your long weekend, one of, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here ready to listen because I, I believe that God's got my best in mind for my life, not just in the future, but right now. And maybe that sounds crazy when the bar is set to perfection, So let's let's just take a moment, just breathe a little bit, and pray and ask that God would would put all the other thoughts we have just just aside for a moment and to sit under his authority, listening to him as he unfolds this big picture of perfection for us. So God, we join together this morning, grateful that we are able to be here. And we ask that you would use this time to expand your kingdom to cast a, a, a bigger and better vision of who you are and what you're about in our lives. And that that would transform us. In Jesus' name we ask. And we all said, Amen. So, um, just a little context about where I'm coming from uh, today. This last year has been just crazy for my wife Janelle and I. Uh, we have gone through a lot of different experiences and moments uh, of what I could only call uh, as adulting. Now, don't confuse that with adultery. It's adulting. ing um, because that will take us to a very different spot. No, I'm talking about the experiences that are typically you know, characterized by people who are growing up. You know, the things that I always thought, okay, that's, that's for mom and dad, or that's for my grandparents, or, you know, for people older than me. People who are, you know, real adults. Not, not me. This isn't stuff that I go through. Uh, but nevertheless, it happened. We adulted a lot last year. So, for example, we had our first kid. And if you go from zero kids to even one kid, you know that's crazy. Like, life changes, your priorities shift, life is no longer even less about you, it's about keeping this human being alive and letting him terrorize your church's nursery and, and all of that, like, that's, that's real stuff, that's growing up, and I'm like, man, this is crazy. On top of that, on top of that, you know, like, right around the same time we're having our first kid, we actually buy our first home, and if you're sitting here this morning wondering is God real, well, you know, if somebody buys a home in Abbotsford today... <laughs> Like, that takes supernatural, miraculous intervention, especially when you have the amount of money that we had moving into this, having our first kid at the same time. It's like, wow, what is going on? Like, you know, there's lawyers involved. There's, there's meetings. There's appointments you got to keep. There's stuff you got to sign. There's stuff you can sign online. I'm like, this is stuff for my dad, my grandpa. This isn't me. Like, what? This is adulting. I don't like it. And on top of that, weeks after this, our the car we have, the only car my family has, the one vehicle we drive decides it's on its deathbed. (laughs) And we're left with the decision, okay, we've got a kid, we've got a home, and now we need to be able to transport ourselves from that home to other places. What are we going to do? And again, miraculously, you know, the appointments, the talks about money, all of that stuff, the financing, blah, 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 blah. We're just growing up. We're doing adult stuff to get... A new vehicle that will hopefully last forever, Lord willing. We'll never have to go through this again. (laughs) Some of you know what I mean. Um, And I was kind of in denial about this whole adulting thing because, you know, even though all that had happened, it really hit me the other day. So I'm I'm in my living room, in my free time, nothing else is around me, I'm sitting on our laptop in our living room, I'm scrolling through the internet, doing research on vacuums, like vacuum cleaners, like the stuff you'd like you know clean your floor with. I'm, like, I'm, not, this, I'm not joking, I actually did this. And I stopped at one point, I shut the laptop and go, this isn't for me. <laughs> what? I'm better than this. I don't have money for vacuums, time for research. Man, growing up is difficult. I remember when we were, when we were applying for Central Heights almost four years ago now. I'm working this other job and this song came on the radio while we were working. A uh, John Mayer's song, and there's a line in it that I so identified with where John sings this line and says, you know, I'm, I'm so scared of getting older. I'm only good at being young. <laughs> and I'm like, amen, John, that is me. Like, uh, uh, this is hard. This is stuff that, that's crazy. It takes work. It takes effort. But it's rewarding at the same time. It's beneficial. And it, actually, it should happen. We should grow up. This stuff is natural, even though it takes hard work, even though it's not comfortable all the time. Man, we got to do it. And this is what Jesus is after. There's a, there's a big picture going on here in, in Matthew chapter 5, and there's a lot of you know, high standards he's calling us to. And when he gets to this talking about perfection here at Matthew five forty eight, 48, um, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it this way. He says, what Jesus is saying in a word is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live out your God-given identity. Why would he say that? Because I think when we heard uh, 548 read, we kind of heard the word perfect and went, okay, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge ideal. I'm probably never going to make it to there, but I'll just let the guy talk about it and see what happens. There's a lot more going on here than we, than we can see uh, in English, and I know sometimes in church we don't get too excited about the original languages other than the three of you that do, um, but... But there is a lot going on here. And what's helpful to understand is that this word perfect that's translated it's translated from the Greek word teleos. Can everybody just say that? Telios. 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 What this word means as um, J. Jay Oswald Sanders who writes a book on maturity. He says that this word signifies an end, a goal, a limit. It combines two ideas. One, it's like the full development of one's powers. And second, it's the attainment of some goal or standard, uh, the realization of the proper end of one's existence. So what Jesus is getting at here, it's it's a wider term than just, you know, flawlessness or or moral perfection or, or just living, you know, completely unblemished by sin. There's more going on than that. It's about growing up. It's about adulting spiritually It's about growing into godliness, and the Christianese term, the churchy word for this, the churchy phrase, is spiritual maturity, and that's the big picture of perfection that we're going to look at this morning. Um, Oftentimes, this word talios, I was looking into this, um, because that's probably what I should be doing if I'm going to talk about it, is that it... It's often illustrated with those old kind of uh, ship captain's spy glasses or those those kind of telescope things where it starts small and you extend it out segment by segment, stage by stage, piece by piece so that you start small, but it gets really big to be used at maximum potential. Now, because I'm not a boat expert um, or a pirate, I didn't have one of those, but as a youth pastor, there's lots of stuff I have at my disposal. Uh, One such thing... Uh, is similar to that spyglass, is this. It's a toy lightsaber, for those of you unfamiliar with the Star Wars movies. Um, this, so it's, again, this is a, it's just a replica of a weapon from some sort of, you know, fictitious fantasy world. Um, but what you do when you get this toy is you start with this thing. It's, this is the handle, or the hilt, if you will, and you've, you've got a lightsaber, well, the problem is you don't, you're not really getting excited about just the hilt, all right? And, like, nobody's just like, wow, yeah, that's, that's cool. I want that toy for Christmas. Mom, can you get that? No, like, it's not just about this. What's much more exciting than the hilt is the beam that extends out from this. And what happens, to we use this properly, is it extends segment by segment, piece by piece, reaching its end goal, its limit, so that you can see what this thing looks like, as it was designed. This is how it's supposed to be used. This is you seeing it clearly as it actually was meant to be. This is how it's going to meet its purpose. It is now complete. It's not complete, just as the hilt. You don't want just that. You want the beam. And I wonder for us here at Central Heights, as we think about our relationship with Jesus, as we think about our spiritual maturity, how content are we with being just the hilt, just the handle, just sitting in a, in a state of, of undeveloped potential. Because this is always what we should be doing here. Our, our goal at Central Heights, if you, in case you didn't know this, our goal is not to just You know, do more renovations, uh, to leave scaffolding up, to add more pastors, to add more programs, to fill more seats, to to make better coffee in the foyer, although that would be nice. But also, (laughs) yikes, Um, it's not just that stuff. That stuff is good. It is important, and it is maybe essential, but it's all unto something else. And as Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1, what we want to do at Central Heights and what Paul wanted to do in his ministry was to proclaim Jesus so that, as Colossians 1.28 says, we can present everyone mature in Christ. Our goal isn't just to stay as a people here, uh, as, a, as one giant collection of hilts. Our goal is to grow and mature and to reach a standard, a goal, our full maximum potential To be just like our Father who is in heaven. You see, when I was first looking at this this verse, sometimes words jump out at me when I'm reading a passage. And the words, the two words that jump out at me here in, in verse 48 are your Father. And they jump out at me because it reminds me that Jesus isn't just throwing out some kind of unfamiliar concept. This is always what God's people were supposed to be. We were always supposed to resemble the one we belonged to. Throwing it back all the way to Leviticus, for example, we hear over and over God speaking this out to his people saying, you should be holy. Why? Because I am. You're my people. You belong to me. This idea bounces around in the Old Testament, coming back around to it in Deuteronomy where God's like, you shall be blameless before me. This standard, this goal, this this completeness that Jesus is after, it makes sense when we understand that this is always what God's people we're supposed to be. If we really are his children, his sons, his daughters, it makes sense. It's natural then for us to resemble him, to mirror him, to look like him, to walk like him, to talk like him, to think like him, and all that we do. And as that happens, we mature. We move from just hilt level to beam level. And that's what we're after. That's what we want. In other words, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, Hey, if God is your father, that means your standing before him is perfect. It can't be improved upon. If, the, if your identity is as a son or daughter of God, man, there's nothing that can top that. And if we've come to experience his love, as, as 1 John 3:1 says, you know, God's got so much love for us that we should be called his children. And so we are. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we put our trust in his work, his perfect life, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, he sends the Holy Spirit into our lives, into us, Jesus in us, making us his sons, his daughters, who ought to resemble him. That's the big picture going on here. So in other words, if our standing before God is perfect, our standard from God is perfection. Perfection. If your standing, if my standing before the God of the universe, this Father, if our standing before him is perfect, then our standard from God is perfection. Now we need to, we need to understand this clearly, and there's potential to misunderstand what I'm saying here, so I want to I pull us back to this gospel framework of how things in, in our Christian story, our good news work. All the other places in our culture and and in the other worldviews and the other religions is all about us meeting a standard so that we acquire some sort of reward or standing. So there's other religions that say, hey, if you do this much, if you meet some sort of standard, well, then that's when your standing will change before this other being, this God or the gods or whatever it is. So you meet a standard, you get a standing. Or you meet a standard and, you know, something else happens to you. Because not all religions are about God or heaven or anything, but they're, they're about doing stuff to earn something. But what our gospel is about is that we could not live up to a standard. Our standing before God was not perfect. We were dead in our sins, as Ephesians 2 tells us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, in Jesus. See Jesus meets our standard a god <laughs> that we could not meet before god so that our standing before god could be changed. And rather than being a requirement of salvation, perfection is a result of salvation. Maturity, Christian growth, all of this stuff is not about us getting a a better standing before God. No, our standing leads to the standard that we get. What we do in in the gospel does not make us who we are. What Jesus did makes us who we are, if we've come to believe that. And so that's what shifts what we do. It has to. That's what it's about. So let's talk a bit about, well, what is maturity, um, because I think maybe we're agreeing, okay, on, on a mental level, okay, we, we know why we should mature, but how do we do that, and what does it look like? Uh, maybe before I do that, I just want to go on a little side note here for a second. If our standard um, is, is is this high, it's like to be like God, like fully, to be like so Christ-like that everything we do, it looks like we are just, we are fully mature, fully developed into the potential he has designed us for as his followers, through his help, as a result of our right standing before him. We need to understand that that at some level we are always going to be hypocrites, and let me explain that. A lot of times, especially as I grew up, I got frustrated with with my peers, uh, with church in general, because it's like, well, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. You know, like, they they say one thing and they do another. And, you know, this is even one of the major perceptions of those outside Christianity, of those outside the church. Maybe you're visiting for the first time, and that's been your perception, too, that, you know, the church, it's kind of got some friendly people, but at the end of the day, most of them are hypocrites. Now, we're not happy with that. Uh, We don't like that. We don't want to be hypocrites, but our, but our gospel isn't that our actions immediately, you know, make us sinless from the start when we meet Jesus. We're given the Holy Spirit, we're given a helper so that we, you know, we're not immediately sinless in our actions, but we should start to sin less. And what we should start to do is move away to lowering degrees of hypocrisy, but can we stop using that as a big complaint against why we don't come to church? Can we stop using it as the big, you know, argument against, well, this thing can't be real because it's just, you know, it's all full of hypocritical people. Of course it is. Of course it is. Our full design, our completeness, our goal is to be like the one who saved us, to resemble him. That's a huge standard. It's not mediocre. It's excellent. It's perfection. We're always going to fall short of that, but hopefully we fall short fewer and fewer times as we grow up. So again, back to, back to what, what, what is maturity and what does it look like? I think uh, what might be a little bit helpful is for me to share a bit about you know, what, what I, I used to think maturity was, because I think this is maybe our perception sometimes, is that maturity maybe is one of two big things. One, it's simply being old and being a Christian. <laughs> Some of you are laughing at that. There was a lot of laughter from the seniors back there. They're going, Pfft. no, I, I saw you, Gertrude. You ain't, you ain't mature yet. Like, like, I saw you, Larry. What's going on? No, Larry's very mature. Um, <laughs> honestly, he is. Like, if I knew Jesus like that guy is, man, you'd have a much better message right now. Um, <laughs> But it's not. We can't reduce it to simply being old and being a Christian. Look, Jesus' whole thing, this whole Sermon on the Mount we've gone through, it didn't matter if people were a teenager, a kid, in their 10s, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s. Jesus doesn't stop and say, okay, by the way, um, I'm just going to pause here at verse 47 and say, this next verse is just for you who are 60 and under. He doesn't do that. Because Christian maturity, while time and experience are essential to it, they don't guarantee it. They don't. And we can't reduce it to that. So that's the first thing we need to understand. That that's a misunderstanding. Time and experience are essential, but they're not a guarantee. Jesus isn't putting age, you know, into his sermon. This is for everybody. A second thing I used to reduce maturity to, and maybe this is you as well, is I used to simply think being a Christian, being mature as a Christian, was about being really disciplined about feeding myself. Oh, well, once I carve out um, that devotional time before bed, or once, you know, I read my Bible, you know, at least half the week, or once I read it every day, or once I pray every day, or once I go to this Bible study, or once, you know, I I make this plan of reading one proverb a day because, you know, every proverb, you know, there's 31 of them, so they line up with the months. Once I get that into my routine, that's, I'm going to have made it. I'll be mature at that point. For some of you, that's your whole game plan, that's your goal, is to be really good at feeding yourself. Well, I'll go to church, uh, you know, the majority of my summer or the majority of the year, and I'll sit there and I'll get teaching, and that'll be what I define as mature. I'll go to this Bible study for, you know, 15 years, or I'll, I'll carve out all this time to, to plow through all this extra devotional material. That is not actually the goal. That might be the means to the end. But it's not the goal. And we cannot think that it's just because we're really good at feeding ourselves that we've learned to walk and follow Jesus. You, you would think it would be ridiculous if you came to my place right now uh, after church and uh, went to you know, see my son Zane, who's 16 months old, I went, okay, let's see you know, let's see how much he's developed. We haven't seen him in a while, because uh, he's terrorizing the nursery, as I said. So he's, you know, what does he look like now? It would be ridiculous to you if you walked in, and man, he's, he's munching down a full steak. He's, he's made it to the end of full maturity, and he's eaten pizza, and, you know, he's, he's, he's eaten all this stuff without maybe even a lot of help. He's, he's got it down. But if he was just a blob on the floor eating, didn't know how to walk, didn't know any words didn't know how to stand or crawl or do anything, you wouldn't think he's grown up at all. You'd think something's wrong with this kid. How often is that us? With our relationship with Jesus, you know, we're, we're really good at feeding ourselves. When it comes to walking, when it comes to talking, uh, maybe not so much. We can't reduce Christian maturity to simply being about feeding ourselves. All of what's going on here, Jesus is getting at the heart of a lot of things. He's talking about being serious about sex. He's talking about being pure in heart. He's talking about, you know, being salt and light in the world. All of this comes not from information, but from transformation. And if, if these people who are sitting there, I mean, they had far less to work with than we do. We've got the New Testament. We've seen Jesus go to the cross, live and die and be resurrected. You know, they were forced to, to take these words and go... Okay, well, yeah, I I know a lot about this guy. Now I saw him at that sermon the other day. It was was on a mountain. It was really long, but I made it through it. And, you know, I sat there. I saw what he physically looked like. I kind of, you know, saw some of the disciples. You know, I know about this Jesus. That would not have been a guarantee that they really know Jesus. Unless we follow, unless they themselves pressed in to go, man, i got to hear more about this. How is this going to happen? How am I going to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect? How is that all going to happen? I don't know. They would have had to press in, follow him, trust him. And the same is true for us today. That's what we need to be doing. Not just sitting at the Sermon on the Mount, but pressing in to the authority of Jesus and his words to follow and obey them. So then, let's take one major chunk of of what maturity looks like, because we have an amazing one from the immediate context here in Matthew 5, starting at verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." Kerry Newhoff, uh, a Christian uh, pastor uh, in Canada, uh, he has an amazing statement about about Christian maturity. And he says uh, this, the kind of perfection that Jesus says, or sorry, the biblical knowledge is ultimately designed for application. The kind of maturity that, that he believes honors God most and honors God most deeply is the knowledge that we get applied in love. Our lives should be different. Our marriages should be different. Our parenting should be different. Our love for our neighbors and community should be different. Our confession and repentance should be deep and authentic. Our transparency should be authentic. And we should be radically committed to living out our faith. One of the most important ways we can live out our faith is by how we love others. And what Jesus is doing here is he says, Yeah, I know it might be even hard to love those who like you, but guess what? If you really want to love like your father loves, you've got to love your enemies. I think I have the hardest time with loving my enemies because I often, an enemy sometimes seems like a strong word, but I think we all do have them to some degree. But the people we don't like, the people we find it hard to love, I think for me what, what gets me the most, why I find it the most difficult, is because I want people to meet me halfway at least. Like I want them to do something uh, on their part so it's not all me extending love or, or grace or forgiveness or, or service. I want them to meet me halfway. Could you imagine if Jesus did that? Could you imagine if if you saw the state of humanity, it was 2,000 years ago, and went, wow, yeah, um, they definitely need a Savior. They're not going to meet any sort of standard. They can't do anything. They're actually dead in their sins. They need somebody else to come and save them. I'll do it. Um, But as I'm looking down there, I don't see a lot of them actually asking for help. They're not meeting me halfway. You know what? I think I'll wait until they meet me halfway. But he doesn't do that. You know, he could, have, he could have looked it down and went, okay, yeah, I know nobody's really asking for it yet, but I'll go, uh, Mary and Joseph, they seem like nice people. I'll, um, I'll let them be my parents. I'll come down, I'll enter the human experience, live a perfect life uh, on earth so that I can be qualified to take on the sins of the world. But you know what? Uh, I see here, the way the plan is going, there's not going to be room in the inn. They're going to have to have me in a stable. Well, I don't know, like... Can't they just meet me halfway here? Maybe I'll wait till the inn has got some room, so that way, you know, it seems like humanity did a little bit to get me on the scene. Doesn't do that. Maybe you, imagine if you went even further and went, well, yeah, okay, Uh, yeah, they're not asking for it. There's no room in the inn, but you know what? I see, uh, oh, I still don't want to go because the Roman government is ruling, and I hear they've got this unspeakable execution method called crucifixion. Where you get tortured and get killed on a cross. You know what? I think I'll wait till humanity and technology meets me halfway where they've got the lethal injection. I'll wait until until they do something to meet me halfway. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't wait till it's comfortable, he doesn't wait till it's convenient, he doesn't wait till it's clean and tidy and everything is just where it should be, the conditions are just perfect. No, he comes when it's not convenient, he comes when it's radical, he comes when it's messy. Because the love the Father has for humanity, the love he has for you in this room right now, is a love and a grace when we don't deserve it. Romans 5 tells us that while we were God's enemies, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. When I wasn't asking for help, when you weren't asking for help, when when you were pointed away from God, when there was nothing you could do to save yourself, Jesus did everything to save you while you were his enemy. And if we want to resemble that kind of love, if we want to resemble the God we worship, that is our goal. That is our standard for love. To love enemies. To not wait till they meet us halfway. That's hard. That's hard. That's like adulting spiritually. That takes work. That takes sacrifice. That takes us being inconvenienced. But man, does it look like the God we worship. And that's what it should be. Apply that to your breakup. Apply that to the you know the family member who, who's shunning you, who wrote you off. Apply that to that coworker who just grades you. That boss who's unjust towards you. Apply that to the bullies in your schools and all, and in any people that you don't really want to love. Don't wait for them to meet you halfway. Because Jesus didn't do that for you. Love your enemies so that you may be sons, daughters, children of your Father who is in heaven. So often. Our maturity can be measured by what we say and how we say it, the things we talk about, the way we talk about them. And in this case, Jesus is saying, that when you talk about your enemies, talk about them to God. Don't talk about them behind people's backs. Don't talk about them negatively on, you know, when it's safe and comfortable with the people that you like. Talk about them to God. Pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever actually done that? Have you ever actually taken that name or that group of people in your head that's just maybe even coming to your mind right now, stopping and going, God, I'm going to talk to you about them, and I'm going to pray for them. Because I understand that if I want to love like you, have loved me, i got to do this. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to go into all these other areas of maturity, but man, loving our enemies, that is a huge, huge marker of what it looks like. Love perfectly to follow God to be mature. You know we haven't touched on you know praying. We haven't touched on giving uh, financially or otherwise. We haven't talked about serving. We haven't talked about baptism. We haven't talked about a lot of different things. That ought to show us how wide the scope is. God's got our best in mind. There's a better way for all these areas, and He's calling us to it. Because we weren't meant to just you know be a hilt. We were meant to fully develop to resemble our Father. David Mathis writes about this kind of love, and he says that the kind of perfection that Jesus says comes from his Father, and the kind he calls his disciples, you and I, to pursue, does not find its sense of completion in delivering retribution for wrongs done. Instead, it's the perfection of a heart that finds so much fulfillment and satisfaction in the God of grace that it's able to extend grace to those who don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it from God. There are people in your life that don't deserve it right now. They don't deserve your forgiveness. They don't deserve your friendship. They don't deserve your love, your, your, your grace towards them. But if you want to look like God, if you want to follow him, if you want to resemble him, if you want to reach for the standard that God is calling us to, you've got to do it. Because that's what he did for you. Find fulfillment in that. As we close, I want to give us six maybe helpful tips, or tips that I've found helpful, guidelines for maturity. And these aren't the only six. They're not probably even the best six, because I said Larry's not up here. But I mean, these are six that I think are so important. As we think about loving our enemies, as we think about the entire better way of the Sermon on the Mount, reaching to this big picture of, of perfection in God. Number one, I well, the thing that we desperately need to do is we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need his help. In John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians 5 talks about us keeping in step with the Spirit if we've come to life in him. We can't do this on our own. That's why Jesus sends us the helper, to help us do this. Number two, we need to be amazed by Jesus. So this is something that's I, I, changing how I, I, I think and, and view life. You notice how when you're amazed by something, your attention shifts to it? If our attention was constantly fixed on Jesus and on what God has done through him, that would change the way we view our enemies. That would change the way we give, the way we serve, the way we invest, the way we do anything. Because we're captivated by someone so amazing. How amazed are you right now about Jesus? Maybe we need to build into our routine of life to uh, a, a priority of reflecting on the gospel and what God has done. The fact that God did not wait for you to meet Him halfway. That in fact, if you're in this room right now, there's nothing you need to do in order to be made right before God. You you don't need to do anything. You can't do anything to change your standing, and that's amazing because Jesus did it for you. All you need to do. To so receive him, believe in him as Lord and Savior. Receive him as the rescuer of your life, the ruler of your life. And be amazed by that. Have that shift your attention. And as that happens, as you're amazed by things, it starts to transform the way you live and it'll help us mature. Number three, I think we need to do this more often than we do. I need to do this more often than I do. So we need to look in the mirror and desire to improve. We actually have to want this. Oftentimes we use the phrase, well, I'm not perfect, as almost like an excuse for when a flaw gets pointed out or a mistake or someone challenges us, and it's like, well, I'm not perfect, so, you know, I'm going to lean on this as a crutch. Stop letting it be your crutch and let it be a catalyst to motivate you to grow, to go, man, yeah, I'm not perfect. I want to grow. And you know what? The thing about wanting to improve, the thing about being humble and about being teachable, not only is that a mature thing to do, but it actually paves the way for more maturity, it opens up the door for you to receive more of what God has for you, to receive his best for you. To not go, yeah, I got this, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, but to desire to improve. Number four, we need to put in work. And sometimes it seems weird because it's like, well, I thought Jesus put in all the work, and I thought, well, yes, he did. And yes, we need the Holy Spirit's help. But as we depend on him for help, as we're amazed by him, as we desire to improve, there are things we can do to put in work, to cooperate with God in the maturing process. It's no wonder then the, the, that Peter in 2 Peter 1 uses the, the phrase, you know, make every effort. Or, or Paul in, in Philippians 3, you know, press on. There are things we can do in cooperation with God. Put in some work. Number five, we need to be okay with being weird. <laughs> because here's the thing, is sometimes we... we, we you know, cut maturity off because we're spending time with people at different stages of maturity. Think of the people that come back from, you know, a Bible camp experience or a missions trip experience or some sort of, you know, really powerful encounter with God. They come back to their home church and they just learned, you know, maybe to engage with God physically by raising their hands in worship, but the people around them are not doing the same. Their response might be, oh man, like, I don't want to look weird here and do this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to worship to the full potential we got to be okay with being weird sometimes. Sometimes we'll, we might be the most mature person in our circles. We have to allow grace. We have to extend love for those who actually are at different stages and be okay with that. Be okay with being weird. And finally, we need to see the big picture. Because it's not just about us you know, having a better self-improvement program from the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just about us putting in work, cooperating with the Spirit so that, you know, that we do better. That is is a huge benefit of it, but that's not the big picture. The big picture isn't even that it's going to help those around us. The big picture is, as Jesus says, this is about you resembling your Father. It's His name. It's His fame. It's His glory that's going to be shown as we live this out. Can we do this? Do we want to do this? I pray that we do. And the thing about being amazed by Jesus especially is we have an awesome moment right now. Or we're going to be able to reflect on the gospel through communion. But all of these things, and servers, you can, you can start to prepare for that right now too. All of these things we want to see happen for the glory of God. We want them to happen for the flourishing of our individual lives, but also for our city and our world. As we move not just from a collection of hilts in this room, but fully developed people growing into godliness. Because that's who our Father is who we belong to. I'm going to pray as we transition to communion and some of the words I want to pray come right out of Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verse 12 and following so would you join me in praying for this as we close Lord at Central Heights we want to be perfect as you are perfect, we want to grow we want to mature as we envision a new chapter in the history of our church here one where we look for you, Lord, as Ephesians 4 says, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Lord, may this continue until we all in this room, all of us who are connected, all of us who are in this family, come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will be no longer immature like children. God, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, what we will do, Lord, what we need your help to do is to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus, who is the head of this body of your church. God, may it be in this time in our individual lives, that we would grow, we'd press on, we'd make every effort as you help us to grow, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like I said, we're transitioning to a time of communion now, and if, if you're a guest, if you, if you haven't you know, made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, uh, please just feel free to observe what happens here. This is something, for, as, as a church family, we do to symbolize, to, to remember how great it is that Jesus did not wait for us to meet him halfway, that his love was so perfect that it extended to his enemies, that he came, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, taking our guilt, taking our punishment, and rose again on the third day so that we by faith could be declared righteous and forgiven in him. Servers, you, you can start passing out the, the cup and the bread and as they pass it out to you, just hold on to it for a moment, reflecting on the God of grace, reflecting on this perfect Father. And then I'll jump in with us, giving us a signal to move on and we're going to look at Paul's words about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. But take this moment to reflect, to pray, to think and to be amazed.